This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Every summer, I have the distinct pleasure of spending an entire month with people from all over the world here in Dallas teaching the Arabic language, Quranic Arabic, the language of the Quran, and discussing and exploring the timeless lessons and wisdoms of the Book of Allah. We call this experience Quran Intensive. Please check out BayinaSummer.com That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H Summer.com to get more information and sign up. I look forward to seeing you here Insha'Allah at the Quran Intensive. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِأَمَانَاتِهِمْ وَعَهْدِهِمْ رَاعُونَ وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَى صَلَوَاتِهِمْ يُحَافِظُونَ أُولَئِكَ هُمُ الْوَارِثُونَ الَّذِينَ يَرِثُونَ الْفِرْدَوْسِ هُمْ فِيهَا خَالِدُونَ الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه so inshallah, we're starting from ayah number 8 today. And this is continuing on with the uh, attributes, the qualities uh, of the believers that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning here. This is now going to be talking about the... This is now talking about the uh, 5th and 6th uh, attribute or quality. Some mufassirun, instead of that, uh, basically just count them as one, but overall it mentions two attributes in one ayah. So even though we are discussing uh, one ayah today, which is ayah number eight, this will be mentioning both the fifth and the sixth attribute of the believers. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, again, a very brief translation, He says, and those people who are very diligent in watching over the trust that has been given to them, and the covenant or promises made by them. So now let's go ahead and explore a little bit about the, the words themselves in the ayah, the language of the ayah, and then we'll delve into uh, some of the commentary from the Mufassirun. So first and foremost, uh, the new word that's introduced here is the word amanat. Amanat. Um, so this is the plural of the word amana. And just as a little brief comment on the side, uh, Ibn Kathir uh, and um, a couple of the qira'at actually, they mention uh, this particular word. Uh, they mention that this ayah also occurs with another qira'ah in the singular, which is amana. Either way, the jumhur, the majority uh, of the uh, qurra, they say that this ayah, is read with the plural, amanat. That is the plural of the word amanatun. The word amana in the Arabic language, it comes from the root aman. The root aman, just like iman does as well. Now, aman in the Arabic language means safety or security. Safety or security. But as we've started to see now, you oftentimes have a root word, and from there you have the derivatives. And the derivatives at the end of the day retain, always have some part of that core meaning that remains within the word, but a lot of times it becomes very diversified in terms of the different things it talks about. 
So just like sila means a connection, but then the word salah is a form of worship and prayer. So similarly, aman means safety or security. Amana in the Arabic language means to place a trust with someone, to trust, like we say, to entrust someone with something. So to tell somebody to hold on to something, for, to tell someone to hold on to something for you for the purposes of safekeeping. And how does that relate back to its root meaning of aman, which is safety and security? That obviously, number one, you give it to somebody that you feel safe and secure in handing over something valuable to. You feel very comfortable with that person. And you feel comfortable with the situation that whatever valuable you have placed in someone's safekeeping, amana will be safe and secure and will be returned back to you safely and securely. So you kind of see that meaning of safety and security and how it impacts this particular word. So amana is the actual act of placing something in someone's trust. Secondly, so this is what we call grammatically or uh, in sarf, this is what we call the masdar, the jaran, the masdar. However, what also happens is that in the Arabic language, a lot of times the masdar is used in a particular meaning. And so this word amana, even though it is the act of placing something in someone's safekeeping, the item itself that you place, itself is called the amana. The item al-mu'taman alay or al-mu'taman bihi. The item that you have placed in someone's safekeeping, that you have entrusted to someone, is in and of itself called the amana as well. So this is, this is something I wanted to explain here. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word amana, is used in the Qur'an in that meaning of placing something in someone's safekeep, then the word amana is referring to the item itself, the valuable itself, the commodity itself. Alright, so if I place this iPad with Abrar, the iPad itself would be called amana. While the act of me giving him my iPad and saying, please hold on to this, hold on to this for me and I will get it from you tomorrow, that act itself is amana, but the item itself is also referred to as amana. Now you will understand the plural, amanat, are items that have been placed in someone else's care for safekeeping. So that at a specific time or specific place, specific day, that item can be returned back to you. Alright? So amanat, that's what it makes reference to. Secondly, we have the word here, ahd. Wa'ahdihim ra'un. So we have the word ahd. Now the word ahad in the Arabic language, it basically refers to some type of a covenant or a promise or agreement. So in and of itself, the amana, even though it is somewhat like a transaction, because obviously again, going back to the example, when I give my iPad to the brother, now there is a little bit of an agreement that I, he's agreeing to keep it safe and return it to me. There's an agreement that's there, but if you really look at it, there, there are no goods that I'm receiving from him. There's no services or goods that I'm receiving from him. It's not like an exchange. It's not a business transaction where there are iwadain. There are two things, two commodities that are being switched. Versus an ahad in the Arabic language carries that connotation that there is something that exchanges from both sides. There's something that exchanges from both sides. 
So that's the meaning of ahad, and it's very similar to the meaning of wa'ad. It's very similar to the meaning of wa'ad. Wa'ad means a promise. It's very similar in that regard. However, ahad is a little bit more specific in its meaning in regards to two things. Number one, the tone of the word ahad is a lot more powerful. It's a lot more powerful. And that's why as we're going to explore, that whenever Allah talks about His covenant with His creation, with human beings, وَإِذْ عَهِدَ إِلَيْنَا Right? So Allah uses the word ahad when He talks about His covenant with us. Number two is that it also includes more of the elements of exchange, whereas a promise might not necessarily include that. So that's why the word ahad is used here. Then do you have the word ra'un. The word ra'un in the Arabic language comes from the root word ra'ayar'i, which means to shepherd. Which means to shepherd, not just simply to graze. There's a more simple word for that. But the word ra'iya or ra'ayar'i, this word, it means to actually shepherd, which involves more than just grazing. It's not just giving food to the animal. But it is watching over the animal, taking care of the animal, keeping the animal safe, protecting the animal, herding them together, making sure they get to where they need to be and they get back to wherever you brought them from, etc., etc. The entire shepherding of the animal. That is, and again, this is a very powerful meaning. So typically, lughatan, what we say literally, this word's usage is used in regards to animals. Ra'iyatul ghanam. Or ra'iyatul mawashi. The uh, shepherding of goats and sheep, or the shepherding of livestock. That's how it's literally used in the language, in Arabic. However, its usage figuratively and metaphorically is very, very prominent within the language. So this is not some stretch of our imagination, or at the same time, this is not some bizarre occurrence that Allah is now taking a word that is supposed to be used only for shepherding animals and talking about trust and promises and covenants and now using it here. No, no, no. Its usage in this meaning, in this figurative meaning is very, very prominent. Very, very prominent. So much so that the Prophet of Allah of course, there's a very famous uh, an authentic hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, and also a very beautiful narration, which I will come back to in just a little bit, where the Prophet ﷺ says, كُلُّكُمْ رَاعٍ Each and every single one of you is a shepherd. Now, you hear that meaning, and again, if somebody takes it literally, the computer program is saying, sitting there saying, no, I'm not. Right? Unless I shepherd laptops or something. Right? No, I'm not. But the Prophet ﷺ beautifully, powerfully explains, وَكُلُّكُمْ مَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَّتِهِ And each and every single one of you will be held accountable, will be asked about what they were told to shepherd, what they were told to watch over. And then he goes on to elaborate that a father is a shepherd over his children. And that a, an employer is like a shepherd over his employees. So this meaning, the, this word is used figuratively very, very prominently within the Arabic language. So now that we've talked about the meaning of the word specifically, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the concepts that are mentioned over here. So first and foremost, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِأَمَانَاتِهِمْ وَعَاهْدِهِمْ رَاعُونَ That those people who very diligently uh, watch over the trust 
that have been given to them, what they've been entrusted with, and they, their promises or the covenants that they've entered into. And so talking about the issue of amanat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah An-Nisa, in ayah number 58, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Allah ya'murukum. Inna Allah ya'murukum. That without a doubt, most definitely God commands you. Allah orders you, He commands you. And to addul amanati ila ahliha. That you deliver the trust to those people that they belong to. That anytime you are entrusted with something, that you deliver it to the people or to the to the people that those trusts belong with. Similarly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He says in Surah Al-Anfal, in ayah number 27, Ya amanu, O you who believe, La Allah. Do not be deceit, deceitful, do not be de- do not deceive or do not be deceitful, do not be uh, unethical with Allah. والرسول, with the messenger, amanatikum. And that a lot of times being even unethical with, with Allah and His Messenger, what is a part of that? What can make you be what can make you default? What, what can make you default in your relationship with Allah and the Messenger? When you do not take care of the things that are entrusted to you, when you don't keep people's trust. That is a part of not keeping Allah and His Messenger's trust. The Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in a very... Uh, and so Ibn Kathir rahimullahu ta'ala uh, and other scholars, they also mention here that one of the um, aspects of this amana is that amana is a very broad word and there's a lot that's included within it. And normally, even though when I translate it such that making sure that you take care of the things that were entrusted to you, your mind immediately goes to your interactions or your dealings with people. Monetary things, things of monetary value, valuables of people that people have placed with you, or things that people have trusted you with, that do not defy, do not violate their trust in regards to those things. So immediately your mind goes to your interaction with people and you know possessions of people. However, the word amana in its nature, and because Allah used the plural amanat, it has a very wide umbrella that it casts. And many of the mufassirun have mentioned the fact that this also includes the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has trusted us with. That our responsibilities to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are also included here. And that's why the Prophet says, أَعْضَمُ النَّاسِ خِيَانَةً مَنْ لَمْ يُتِمَّ صَلَاتَهُ That the most... Severest of people in violating, in violating the trust are those people who do not perform their prayers properly. And so you also see how this is now continuing on from the idea that this entire conversation was started with and that was having quality within their prayers. That when you don't care about the quality of your prayers, that is the greatest violation of trust. And I mentioned another quote very similar to this before. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the great companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he actually has a similar quote where he says, أَوَّلَ مَا تَفْقِدُونَ مِن دِينِكُمْ الْأَمَانَةِ That the very first thing that you will lose from your religion is actually trustworthiness. وَآخِرُ مَا تَفْقِدُونَ الصَّلَاةِ And the very last thing that you will lose is even the very basic performance of the prayer.
Ibn Kathir rahimullahu ta'ala also says that another very powerful way to understand, because now this ayah is one of the attributes of the believers, right? The issue of amana, the issue of amana, and in fact the issue of the promise, keeping your word, right? These are mentioned under the uh, category of being believers, in the attributes of the believers. So he says that the Prophet ﷺ actually explains this concept Again, very beautifully in a very well-known hadith in Bukhari and Muslim, where the Prophet ﷺ is quoted to have said, "Ayatul munafiqi thalathun," that the sign of the hypocrites are three. There are three signs of hypocrisy within people. Number one, إذا حدث كذبا or كذبا وإذا وعد أخلفا وإذا تمنا خانا. That the Prophet ﷺ says three things are from the character, the behavior of the hypocrites. Number one, when he or she speaks, they lie. Number two, when they make a promise, when they give their word, they break it. And number three, when they are entrusted with something, they will violate the trust. They will violate the trust. And again, just uh, as a brief uh, comment over here, whether we're talking about the ayat, Surah Al-Mu'minun, since this is mentioning this as an attribute of believers, and especially once I bring up the hadith as a sign of a hypocrite, a lot of times, uh, mistakenly, people uh, end up reading this and then using it as a lens to then look at other people. So if somebody is not trustworthy, like I would never trust my iPad with somebody, now auto- automatically now I'm thinking that, well, I read it today, I learned it today, that person's obviously not a believer. Or that person's a hypocrite. Right? No, no, these ayats are for self-reflection. These ahadith are for self-reflection. Not to pass judgment on others. We're in no position to do so. But this is for self-reflection. This is to assess ourselves. In a very, very... Powerful hadith. Uh, if you think back to what I just quoted from Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu, uh, in multiple books of hadith, for instance in Tirmidhi, in Kitab al-Fitan, Hudhaifat ibn al-Yaman, this is an authentic narration, he narrates, it's a very lengthy hadith, I'll mention the parts of it that are relevant to our discussion here. He says that, حَدَّثَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ The Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم told us, he informed us, أَنَّ الْأَمَانَةَ نَزَلَتْ فِي جِذْرِ قُلُوبِ الرِّجَالِ That amana was something that was put within the deepest uh, foundations of the hearts of people. ثُمَّ عَلِمُوا مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ ثُمَّ عَلِمُوا مِنَ السُنَّةِ That amana is something that is naturally, amana is something that's just from being a good person. It's from being a good human being. That when you've ultimately lost your trustworthiness, not only does it mean that for me, when I've lost my trustworthiness, when I can no longer be trusted, that not only does that mean that I'm not a good Muslim anymore, that I'm not a mu'min and a good Muslim anymore, but that also means that I'm not really even a human being anymore. That's part of being a human being, is being able to be trusted. That trust is vital, it's necessary. So he says that amana is something that's very intuitive and natural to human beings. 
And then they learned it further from the Qur'an, and then they learned it further from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. That we learned, we evolved in that regard. We became more sophisticated in our trustworthiness and what that required and demanded from us. And then he goes on to say, وَحَدَّثَا نَا عَنْ رَفْعِهَا But then the Prophet ﷺ also talks about this amana leaving. And he said, يَنَامُ الرَّجُلُ النَّوْمَةَ That a man will go to sleep. فَتُقْبَضُ الْأَمَانَةُ مِنْ قَلْبِهِ And this is basically very eloquent on the part of the Prophet ﷺ. He's basically saying that one day it'll seem like you wake up. And what will you find amongst the people? That that trustworthiness is gone. فَيَضِلُّ أَثَرُهَا مِثْلَ أَثَرِ الْوَقْتِ And it'll be gone to the point where maybe just a few remnants, like a few stains of it will be left. ثُمَّ يَنَامُ النَّوْمَةَ Then some more time will go by. And again, it's like you'll wake up one day. فَتُقْبَضْ And more of that trustworthiness will be gone from people. فَيَبْقَى أَثَرُهَا مِثْلَ الْمَجْلِ كَجَمْرٍ دَحْرَجْتَهُ عَلَى رِجْلِكَ And then, all that will be left from an amana will be like a blister. Like it's there, but it's very flimsy and there's not much to it. فَنَفِطَ فَتَرَاهُ مُنْتَبِرًا And a blister is visible, but if you actually pop the blister, there's not much there, it's empty. So that's what the trustworthiness of people will be. They might have an outward appearance of trustworthiness, but they'll be hollow, there'll be nothing there. وَلَيْسَ فِيهِ شَيْءٌ There'll be nothing there. فَيُصْبِحُ النَّاسُ يَتَبَايَعُونَ And then all of a sudden people, when that time comes, People will engage in transactions. They'll buy and sell and trade and exchange. And it will become so difficult, so difficult to find a trustworthy person. For you call that it will become like a legend. It will be like an urban myth, a community myth. Right? It will be like a trustworthy person will be like the Loch Ness monster. It will be like Bigfoot. I saw one. Everyone said, You're crazy. You're crazy. Here's a grainy picture of one. Right? فَيُقَالْ إِنَّ فِي بَنِي فُلَانَ رَجُلًا أَمِينًا It'll be like a legend that'll be spoken about. If you go to such and such town, and such and such tribe, and such and such family, there you will find the trustworthy one. وَيُقَالُ لِلْرَجُلِ مَا أَعْقَلَهُ وَمَا أَظْرَفَهُ وَمَا أَجْلَدَهُ Oh, and this guy will be such a big deal. People will say he's so intelligent. And he's so dignified. And he's such a solid person, solid human being. وَمَا فِي قَلْبِهِ مِثْقَالُ حَبَّةٍ مِّنْ خَدَّلٍ مِّنْ إِيمَانٍ But even that guy will not even have a grain of iman within his heart. When thieves and crooks will be deemed the most trustworthy of their people. And so this really talks about the severity. And what does this mean? So a lot of times you read a hadith like this and we, we read it as doom and gloom. Like okay, everything's just supposed to fall apart and everyone's just supposed to become a wretched evil person and the world is going to end and that's it. No, but this is the Prophet ﷺ commentary on the ayah, ra'un. That this, if you do not take care of this, Like how you have to shepherd goats or sheep. 
right? Goats and sheep have even a lesser attention span than a modern-day teenager, right? Right? We complain about attention span. Can't stay focused on anything for more than like 10 seconds, right? So they, they have no attention span. They scatter everywhere. They have, they have very little intelligence. They don't realize what's bad for them. You have to constantly be watching them, constantly be looking after them. But at the same time, no matter how frustrated you get with them, they're not big old camels or cows or big old animals like that, where they can take a little bit of a push and a little bit of a whip or something like that. Very gentle, frail animals. So you have to be gentle. And you have to be compassionate and merciful and diligent and watchful. Now, just a little bit of that imagery you have in your head, that idea that you have in your head, now apply that to how we have to take care of our trustworthiness and the value of our word. We have to live constantly with this attention paid to it because one slip, one slip of not keeping our promise or our word, one little slip of not maintaining someone's trust, taking care of something somebody gave you. And again, we're the best at making excuses for ourselves. Even though we're supposed to make excuses for other people, we're the best at making excuses for ourselves. And we say, oh, what's just one time? Oh, but this happened, that happened, that happened, this happened one time. But what we don't realize is it wasn't just one isolated incident in regards to just a little itty bitty thing that was discussed with somebody or something. No, no, I just lost a part of my soul. I just lost a part of my iman. I just lost a part of my humanity. Is what this hadith tells us. So it's something that we have to be very, very careful about. And this needs to be a focus. This needs to be something we're concerned about. This is why the Prophet um, Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, مَا خَطَبَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَدْتُ مَا خَطَبَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَدْتُ The Prophet of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم never ever publicly addressed the people إِلَّا أَنْ قَالْ Except he always made sure that he said the following. Meaning that every single time he publicly addressed the community, he addressed the community, he publicly addressed people, no matter what the topic of the conversation was, Ramadan, or Hajj, or Zakat, or Taqwa, or Quran, or no matter what the topic was, there was always one thing the Prophet ﷺ mentioned. Because of its, its importance. And that was, لَا إِيمَانَ لِمَنْ لَا أَمَانَةَ لَهُ لَا إِيمَانَ لِمَنْ لَا أَمَانَةَ لَهُ وَلَا دِينَ لِمَنْ لَا عَهْدَ لَهُ The Prophet ﷺ would always mention this in his public address. There is no iman, belief, faith, for the one who cannot be trusted. That person has no iman. وَلَا دِينَ And there is no deen, there is no religion and adherence to religion. For the one who cannot keep his word. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us all. The word ahad, of course, we talked about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala different places in the Quran. He also mentions uh, ahad 
where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَوْفُوا بِالْعَهْدِ إِنَّ الْعَهْدَ كَانَ مَسْؤُولًا Surah number 17, Surah Al-Isra, ayah number 34. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, using a slightly different word in the beginning of Surah Al-Ma'idah, He says, أَوْفُوا بِالْعُقُودِ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَوْفُوا بِالْعُقُودِ O you who believe, fulfill the promises and the contracts that, have, that you've agreed to, that you've signed. In another place in the Qur'an, uh, Surah number 10, ayah number 48, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَنْ أَوْفَى بِمَا عَاهَدَ عَلَيْهُ اللَّهَ فَسَيُؤْتِهِ أَجْرًا عَظِيمًا Excuse me, it's Surah number 48, ayah number 10, Surah Al-Fat. Surah number 48, ayah number 10. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَنْ أَوْفَى بِمَا عَاهَدَ عَلَيْهُ اللَّهَ فَسَيُؤْتِهِ أَجْرًا عَظِيمًا That whosoever fulfills and maintains the covenant that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took with them, the covenant they took with Allah, فَسَيُؤْتِهِ أَجْرًا عَظِيمًا Then their reward, will, they will be rewarded, they will be given a huge and an abundant reward. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in surah number 16, in ayah number 91, in surah Al-Nahl, he says, وَأَوْفُوا بِعَهْدِ اللَّهِ إِذَا عَاهَدْتُمْ That when you enter into contracts with one another, when you give your word to one another, then fulfill the covenant that you made with Allah. Because honesty and trustworthiness, keeping your word, is first and foremost, you made a promise to Allah that I will be a man or a woman of my word. I will keep my word. I will live by my word. I will not lie. So even when you may give your word to somebody else, that if that's not enough to motivate you, then think about keeping your word with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Very, very important. And one of the very um, interesting things uh, that some of the scholars, they point out, we were talking about amana as well. So I told you that amana. So one of the things I want to point out here very quickly is, if you read the ayah, literally, linguistically, if you read it, it's saying, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِأَمَانَاتِ It's plural. Trusts, the things that they have, that have been entrusted to them. وَعَهْدِهِمْ Ahad is mentioned in the singular. Now in translation, that doesn't create a huge problem. Because the word ahad is mentioned like salah was mentioned in the very beginning. And that is, it's representative of anything that is called an ahad. So it's a singular word, but it represents anything and everything that you would call an ahad. So in terms of translation, you can understand it. Keeping your word and taking care of things that have been entrusted to you. But we know... And the reason also that why we're here is to study the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala very, very carefully. And to learn to pay more attention to detail and nuance. That Allah did use the plural word and did use the singular word. Right? When the opposite could have been done. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِأَمَانَتِهِمْ وَعَهْدِهِمْ رَعُونَ وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِأَمَانَتِهِمْ وَعُهُودِهِمْ Ahad, the plural of it is uhud. So that could have also been mentioned as well. The plural could have been used. But Allah did not. Allah used the singular, uh, the singular for ahad, but the plural for amanat. So some of the mufassirun are of the opinion that amanat includes first and foremost the trust that has been given to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that trust is also mentioned within the Quran in surah number 33, surah al-ahzab in ayah number 72. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّا عَرَضْنَا الْأَمَانَةَ That we bestowed the trust. عَلَى السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ And whenever you use the word ala, 
with ard, and you're talking about amana, it basically means to entrust something to someone, to give it to them. That Allah says that we gave this amana, the amana. And the amana here, in the tafsir of that ayah, the scholars say, they say that it's talking about the responsibility of this deen and this religion. This beautiful, remarkable way of life. And some mufassirun are even more specific where they say it's specifically referring to the Qur'an. لَوْ أَنزَلْنَا هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ عَلَىٰ جَبَلٍ So, whether it be all of the deen or it's talking about the Qur'an, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we gave it to the heavens and the earth and the mountains. فَأَبَيْنَا أَنْ يَحْمِلْنَهَا They refused to carry it. Because of what a huge responsibility it was. وَأَشْفَقْنَ minha, And they were afraid and overwhelmed by it. وَحَمَلَهَا insanu, But the human being took it on. The human being said, yeah, sure, no problem. إِنَّهُ كَانَ ظَلُومًا jahula, And the human being is very faulty and ignorant. Very faulty and ignorant. Oppressive and ignorant. That, not because of taking the trust, but taking the trust and then not living by it, and living up to it. That a lot of times, you know, they kind of say what comes with the territory. When you have a position of, you know, respect or power, they say, well, accountability and responsibility comes with the territory. The human being enjoys being the most beautiful and remarkable of Allah's creation. The human being enjoys a position of all of the other creation of Allah serving the human being. The human being enjoys the blessing of being able to benefit from the eternal blessings of the hereafter. But that also comes with responsibility and accountability. And we have to learn to live by that responsibility and accountability. The word ahad is mentioned in the singular. Some of the mufassirun mention here, like Ibn Ashur and others, that because that is primarily uh, representative of the covenant we have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now you might say, well you do make promises to others. For instance, the Prophet sallallahu says, عِدَةُ الْمُؤْمِنِ دَيْنٌ عِدَةُ الْمُؤْمِنِ كَأَخْذِ الْكَفِ The Prophet sallallahu says, giving somebody your word is like shaking their hand. It's like giving them your hand. وَعَدُ الْمُؤْمِنِ دَيْنٌ in another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says that making the promise of a believer is a debt that is upon the believer. So of course you have to keep your word. But like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, I mentioned the ayah from Surah Nahal, That when you make promises amongst each other, realize that the accountability of that promise is not only to that other person, but is ultimately with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that falls under that umbrella, but that ahd, here in this ayah is primarily talking about your promise to Allah. And that fits very well because the previous ayah was talking about relationships with other people. So amanat is a broad scope, mentions your uh, the trust you have with other people as well, not only just with Allah. But here, the next ayah is going to be talk, going back to talking about our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it concludes here by mentioning ahad. And here it didn't just talk about taking care of it, Ra'un, but it talks about watching over it very, very carefully, very, very clearly. And some of uh, the scholars, again, like Ibn Ashur and others, or excuse me, Alama Alusi, he also mentions that 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about taking care of amanat. Taking care of things that have been entrusted to you. Katakhliya. That is to remove any accountability and burden and sin from yourself. So you don't have any debts against you on the Day of Judgment. And then keeping your word and your promise with Allah is now raising your rank. So first take yourself out of debt by making sure that anytime anyone has entrusted you with anything, you fulfill it, you take care of it, and you compensate them for it if you have violated their trust in the past. Make it up to them. First get yourself out of debt. Now we can start about wealth building. See, everybody understands when you talk about money, now it makes sense. Get yourself out of debt, now we can talk about building some wealth and investments. Similarly, spiritually, get yourself out of debt by making sure that you fulfill the trust of people. And now you can talk about some spiritual building by now focusing on how can I really polish up my relationship with Allah and really round out my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's a very beautiful view of how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has even sequenced. So we answered the question, why amanat is plural, why ahad is singular. Now we've also answered the question, why was amanat mentioned first and ahad was mentioned second? Because amanat will get you spiritually out of debt and ahad is now how you will spiritually build yourself on this good and solid foundation of zero spiritual debt that you have now. And of course, ra'un means to constantly be taking care and watching over it. The last thing that I'll mention here in regards to this particular ayah that we've mentioned in regards to all the ayat is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here again says it with a couple of very powerful uh, linguistic nuances, grammatical nuances. And that is first and foremost again, وَالَّذِينَ يَرْعُونَ أَمَانَاتِهِمْ وَعَهْدَهُمْ Alright, it didn't mention it in the verbal form. Allah said it in the nominal form. So this shows again the importance of constantly being mindful. And that's where the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ told us as well. You let your guard down in this regard, it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. So don't ever let your guard down in this regard. And subhanAllah, you know, this will kind of go off in a different direction. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time. But... This is something that when we talk about really holistically living the deen, and I kind of talked about the discrepancy or the inconsistency in, in the outwardly manifestation of religion that really plagues our community, where religion is just simply interpreted as a few uh, things in regards to one's appearance, right? The type of beard you have or the type of kufi you wear or the type of hijab or abaya that you wear that that's become solely representative of piety. It's a part of it, but not all of it. Or sometimes it's in regards to just ritual acts of worship. Salah, dhikr, Qur'an. But then people lack so terribly, lack any type of honesty and trustworthiness, ethics and morality. That's a huge spiritual turnoff for a lot of people. That when you're reading this and you see the well-roundedness of this, and when you look at the lifestyle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, we talked about family. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says he was so attentive to the needs of his family members. So careful and considerate. So loving and compassionate. 
He was always aware of how everybody in the room was feeling. Observant. But when the time for prayer came, at the same time his worship, when the Adhan was called, it was like he became a stranger to everyone. Nothing could take him away from his salah. In financial dealings, that the Prophet of Allah was so careful about amana and trust. That one time when the Prophet had loaned some, uh, somebody had loaned something to the Prophet and by the way, the Prophet only ever took a loan when it was needed to help somebody else. That the man, non-Muslim man, came back to uh, get his loan back prior to the time that they had agreed to. So he came back early and became very rough and disrespectful with the Prophet And when Umar jumped to the Prophet's defense and started roughing that guy up, in response, the Prophet said, Stop! And he reprimanded Umar. And he said, Yes, that man, you might feel he's doing something wrong, but you doing that in in response doesn't solve the problem at all. Go and give him his money back, and then apologize to him, and make it up to him. That's how careful he was about amana and trust. That the Prophet ﷺ, even before Islam, was known by the people of Makkah as As-Sadiq Al-Ameen. Honest and trustworthy. Al-Ameen. Allah refers to him, وَهَذَا الْبَلَدِ الْأَمِينَ Allah refers to him as Al-Ameen in the Qur'an. Trustworthy. That people knew that they could trust him. That he would never violate their trust. You really see this full picture coming together. And even, you know, if you're fortunate enough, in your lifetime you meet people, you see people. They're so careful about this. So particular about this. And they have that well-rounded, that holistic practice of the deen and the religion within their lives. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst them. The next ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ayah number nine, and this will be the seventh and the last of the qualities of the believers that are mentioned here in the beginning of Surah Al-Mu'minun, about which the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever is able to inculcate these attributes, these characteristics, then that person has entered paradise. وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَىٰ صَلَوَاتِهِمْ يُحَافِظُونَ A brief translation, and those people who keep up their prayers, who maintain their prayers. Now again, linguistically, we've kind of talked about some of the words before. Salawat, of course, is the plural of the word salah. And I'll talk about the significance of it being plural, where it was singular in ayah number two. الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ Singular. Here in ayah number nine, it's plural. I'll talk about the significance of that. The next thing is the word يُحَافِذُونَ يُحَافِذُونَ Now, First and foremost, let me explain the meaning of the word. Now we've talked about hifd. We've talked about hifd. Hafidun. But this word, come, while it comes from the same root, it's a little bit different. It comes from the same root, hifd, which means to protect or safeguard or watch over something. However, this is from a more evolved pattern of the word. Something that we'll be studying, inshallah. Hafadah yuhafidun muhafadah. 
It's a more evolved pattern of the word, a more sophisticated pattern of the word. Now, that particular pattern, words that come from that pattern, are usually um, indicative of mutual action. An action taking place from two sides. Alright? So, loam means to accuse someone. Mula'ama means to accuse each other. La'an, la'ana means to curse. Mula'ana means to curse each other. Alright, so it means an action taking place from two sides. Jalasa means to sit. Mujalasa means to sit with each other. Meaning to sit together, to have a gathering. Alright, so however, this particular word, hifz, when it comes into this pattern, it does not take on the meaning of mutual action. It does not. And this is something very clearly elaborated in, uh, in the Arabic language and within the Arabic lexicons. It does not take on that meaning. Rather, sometimes, occasionally, when a word comes onto this pattern, it emphasizes the meaning, and it's what we call hyperbole. It hyperbolizes the meaning. It exaggerates the meaning. It means to very, very carefully, constantly, diligently, watch over and take care of something. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, that those people who very, very diligently, cautiously, carefully watch over their prayers, take care of their prayers. Now, one other thing that has changed in this ayah from the other ayats, and these are all little clues that I'm kind of giving you and we'll talk about. It's all kind of working towards why the word prayer was in the plural here. And all the other attributes, starting with khashi'un, mu'ridun, Fa'ilun, Hafidun, and recently Ra'un. In all those other places, those were nouns being used. This is a verb. This is a fi'al, not an ism. Yuhafidun is a verb. That's also a departure from the um, kind of style, if you will, that was being used. This is a verb. And it's the present slash future tense verb. And one of the unique things about a verb versus an ism, I told you, what gives the, meaning, the, the ism its power is that it's not bound or restricted by any time. But over here, that's an asset to the verb. That a verb does address time. It's relevant to time. So now keep that in mind. So two things. Number one is to be very diligent, very, very careful, very watchful. And number two is that the element of time is being introduced to here. So now let's talk about why it's in the plural here. Why it's in the plural. And, this all, and at the same time, answering the question of why it's in the plural will also answer the question, why is prayer being brought up here again? We already talked about prayer. Take care of your prayer. Have good quality in your prayer. We've talked about prayer. Why bring up prayer here again? So both of these questions can be answered by answering the question. So this question can be answered by answering the question, why is it plural here? And so I'll mention a few very, very notable individuals that have commented on this issue. So amongst them, amongst them we have Masruq, Alqama, Sa'id bin Jubair, Ikrima, Qatada, 
These are all tabi'un, these are all students of the Sahaba. And amongst the Sahaba, we have people like Abdullah bin Abbas, Abdullah bin Mas'ud, radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. So many, many different people. And most of the mufassirun, like Ibn Kathir and Qurtubi uh, and others, all say that the reason why it's in the plural here is that this is talking about the quality of each and every single individual prayer. The quality of the prayer was talked about in ayah number two, the very first attribute. This ayah, ayah number nine, and the seventh attribute is now talking about the timings of the prayers. So after establishing quality, now it's talking about quantity. It's talking about the, the timings. And within quantity as well, it's not just talking about praying hundreds of raka'at of nafil prayers. That's a part of it. But most importantly, the timings of the prayers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah An-Nisa, إِنَّ الصَّلَاةَ كَانَتْ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ كِتَابًا مَوْقُوتًا مَوْقُوتًا وَقْتْ that Allah says that most definitely prayer was mandated, ordained. In the salata kanat upon the believers, kitaban mawkutan with fixed times. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, there are two narrations. The first narration is in Bukhari and Muslim, where he says that I asked the Messenger of Allah, ayyul amali ahabbu ilallah. Which action is the most beloved to God? And he said, As-salatu ala waqtiha. Prayer at its time. And another narration of the, from the Mustadrak of Hakim, the words of the Prophet ﷺ were, As-salatu fi awwali waqtiha. A prayer in its first opportunity. A prayer in its first opportunity. The Prophet ﷺ, he says in another hadith, uh, that's mentioned in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad and the Sunan of Ibn Majah, that istaqimu walan tuhsu. Istaqimu walan tuhsu. Wa'alamu anna khayra a'amalikum as-salah. That the Prophet said, be consistent in regards to your deen and religion. You will never be able to fully understand and appreciate how blessed you are by Allah. And he said that know for a fact that the best of your deeds and your actions are prayer. And only a believer will be careful, will be so particular about his prayer that he'll, he or she will even be particular about the wudu that they make. That is a prerequisite of the prayer. So this is specifically talking about being very punctual, being very regular about the timings of the prayer. And again, this a lot of times gets lost in the shuffle of conversations and discussions where we at least delude ourselves that we are um, taking a more intellectual or philosophical or spiritual approach to the religion. Where we're moving beyond these, you know, these... Uh, elementary constructs that are there to initiate people into the basics of Islam. But we've ascended to some other spiritual or intellectual or philosophical realm of the religion. And we will almost belittle or look down upon people who will rush and scamper at the timings of prayers. And you know, knowledge, one of the things is knowledge is a very, very tricky thing. Even though this is a halaqa of ilm, but that's where we have to correct our intention 
and really check ourselves, that we engage in a halaqa of ilm, that we engage in the seeking of knowledge, pursuing of sacred knowledge, for the reason, with the intent, of bettering ourselves, and getting closer to Allah. Otherwise, knowledge in and of itself is a burden, not only because you didn't act on it, but it's, it's, it's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. And Sha'rawi rahimahullahu ta'ala, in his dars on these ayats, in the, on this ayah particularly, he talks about this. He says that if you study fiqh, what are you going to learn and come across? If you study fiqh, you start with Kitabu Tahara, the rules and regulations of purification, physical purification. And you learn what is najasa, and how to make wudu, and what breaks your wudu, and what violates your wudu, and what you should do and should not do in wudu, and ghusl, and bath of purification, and what are impurities, and so on and so forth. And then you'll move on to, it doesn't take very long, and then you'll move on to kitab salah You'll move on to the fiqh of the prayer. And the very first chapter, bab, in kitab salah when studying the fiqh of the prayer, will be bab mawaqit salah will be the chapter about the timings of prayer. And the very first thing that you'll be introduced to in the chapter about the timings of the prayers is that, well, each of the prayers has a window. There's a window of opportunity. There's a start, start time and an end time. And so Dhuhr comes in at this time and Dhuhr time expires at that time. Dhuhr is a great example because we are in the summertime. Where Dhuhr time lasts for a few hours. Long time. Lasts for a few hours. And again, if that intention is not rectified and the heart is not corrected, and the proper focus is not there, that same knowledge will end up making us more lax in our prayer. That that window of time is there in case a need arises, a situation arises. That the summertime, because it is a time of more amal and more shughal, especially outdoors for a lot of people, that that bigger window of opportunity is there. Because of need and necessity. But if I'm sitting there on my couch with my feet up, Zohar time comes in. I don't even bat an eye. Why? Because I still got two and a half, three hours. Take care of it. Don't worry about it. It's all good. And in fact, what type of burden does that knowledge become when somebody even comes and tells you, brother, salah, prayer. Listen, simpleton. Let me teach you a little lesson. Fiqh salah. Babu mawaqitis salah. يَبْدَأُ وَقْتُ الظُّهْرِ مِنْ زَوَالِ الشَّمْسِ وَيَبْقَى إِلَى كَذَا وَكَذَا وَكَذَا Now all of a sudden, I'm right. I'm right. And I'm talking down to somebody, and maybe actually, that poor simple, simple soul, who actually prays as soon as time comes in, I might actually spoil him through my knowledge. This is the type of knowledge the Prophet ﷺ sought refuge from. Oh Allah, I take refuge with you from knowledge that does not benefit. But we ask for ilman nafi'an. Say ameen. 
that knowledge that benefits, that motivates, that inspires. And the scholar in his dars, talk, he's talking to just common folks, regular people like you and me. And he says that, fine, summertime, dhuhr, you got three hours to pray. Can you guarantee, and you're putting it off till 4.30, till 5 p.m., the end time. Number one, that's the lesser time to pray. But number two, even if you say, okay, fine, you're going to get it in. Can you guarantee that you will live till then? That sitting right now at 2 p.m. with your legs up and relaxed, can I guarantee that I'll live till then? That I'll still be alive at 4.30, at 4.45, at 5 p.m.? And that this won't be a debt held against me? Because I was purely negligent here. I was arrogant. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us all. So this is about being particular and being regular and being diligent in regards to the prayer. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah number two, ayah num- uh, surah number two, ayah number 238, Hafidu ala salawat, that watch over all the prayers. And in fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, in Surah Maryam, Surah number 19, ayah number 55, He specifically identifies the fact that a, an indication of the corruption of people, an indication of a corrupt human being is what? فَخَلَفَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ خَلْفٌ That the good people that came, like the prophets and the messengers that Allah mentions, that there came after them some people that were corrupt. الصَّلَاةِ that what did they do? They wasted their prayers. They weren't careful about their prayers. And what did not taking care of their prayers lead to? الشَّهَوَاتِ Then they became slaves to their desires. فَسَوْفَ يَلْقَوْنَ غَيًّا And eventually these people will be tossed into the pits of hell. May Allah protect us all. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talking about prayer again. In Surah Al-Ma'un, small surah from Juz'a Amma. أَرَأَيْتَ الَّذِي يُكَذِّبُ بِالدِّينَ Surah number 107. In that surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in ayahs 4 and 5, what does he say? What does he say? فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ That doom and destruction and pitiful is the state of those people who pray, أَلَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ But they are negligent about their prayer. They're not regular and particular and they don't watch over and take care of and maintain their prayers. And we talked about the quality of prayer in the beginning of the surah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also in surah An-Nisa in ayah number 142, He says that a quality, we talked about the quality of hypocrites, how it's contradictory to what was mentioned in ayah number, in the previous ayah, in ayah number 7. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says that uh, about this particular attribute, وَإِذَا قَامُوا إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ قَامُوا kusala. That when they stand up for the prayer, they stand very lazy. They lack quality in their prayer. يُرَاؤُونَ nas. They only do it to show people and maintain appearances. وَلَا يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ إِلَّا قَلِيلًا They have actual very little remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within their prayers. And if all of these seven attributes that we have talked about, that they are maintained, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions their reward in ayah number 10. And we'll go ahead and stop here, inshallah.
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallahum bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasakfiru wa natubu ilayk.